Will you pray with me this morning? We do praise the name of the Lord our God this morning. And we humble our hearts before your word this morning. We ask you to meet us here. In Jesus' name, amen. I ask you to just pray for me this morning. This morning has not gone exactly like I had planned it to. And uh, I'm a little bit frazzled uh, right now. But very happy to be up here and sharing with you the Word of God. Um, last week I told Olivia that I thought that William loved me more than he loved her. And uh, she immediately responded, absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> that was rude. That was rude. Yeah. I uh, am hoping that uh, absence may make your heart grow fonder today. I haven't been up here a lot uh, over the last uh, six weeks or so, and uh, so maybe you can be patient with me uh, this morning. So uh, before we get going, Peyton, will you come on up here? I've asked Peyton to uh, open us up. Um, can, will this mic work? Can we turn this mic on for Peyton? And uh, come on up here. Um, I want Peyton to share a story with you guys. I was thinking about a fitting illustration to get us started this morning, and I don't have nearly as good a story as Peyton does to, to open us up, so he's graciously agreed to uh, share some things with us. So uh, just take a few minutes and, and tell your story. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much, Luke, for letting me relive this trauma. Um, you'll hear more in a second of what I mean. So I guess I need to set up the scene, and I'm really bad at telling stories, so I'm sorry in advance. But I was living, Alex and I were living in Farmerville, right next door to Luke's parents' house. They were letting us stay there. And um, these are people that I've looked up to my entire life, basically. These are, you know, Blackie and Cynthia, as I know them, are two of the really big pillars in my life, I would say. Um, and they were just huge. So I have tremendous respect for them. I would never want to let them down or do anything that would hurt their feelings or anything like that, right? So I'm very conscious of that. And I also struggle with people-pleasing, so you can compound that a little bit with that. So it was a Sunday afternoon, and I get a call from Blackie, and he said, hey, Peyton, um, we're going to be going out of town. We're going to the duck camp. Um, go, go do some things. And then he said some more words that apparently he said, will you watch our dog and take care of him? And I said, yes, or okay, that sounds fun, or something in response. Maybe he said it, I don't know. I'm, I probably forgot it. Um, I can't put that on Mr. Blackie. He didn't tell me. So he tells me this, and I say, okay, yeah, sure. Well, a couple of days go by. Three days go by, and it's Wednesday morning. And I get a text message from Miss Cynthia. And actually, I pulled it up just to see if I still had it. And let me just see if I can pull it up just to help, you know, really set the tone here. It said, oh, no, here it is. Uh, Did you take care of Albert this week? That's all it said. But I immediately jumped up 
And I had no shoes on. I had, I think, just some shorts on, and I had to put on a shirt. The first thing I saw, and I grabbed a shirt, and Alex, Alex just said, what are you doing? And I said, Miss Cynthia asked if I was taking care of Albert. And she said, oh, Peyton, were you supposed to take care of their dog? And I said, I don't know. So I got a button-up shirt on with my uh, gym shorts and uh, had no shoes. And it was raining. And this is January, middle of January, so it was pretty cold and it was rainy. I took off running. I know they have cameras. I never asked him to see the footage, but it would have been pretty spectacular. And if someone would have timed me, who knows? Um, so I run in the door, and they have someone working there. Um, I forget her name now. Uh, what's that? Estella. Miss Estella is in there doing dishes. And I just bust in the door, and nobody's home. And she said, ah! except in Spanish. <laughs> and I, I immediately knew what she meant, but I had, to, I had other things to tend to, so I ran into their bedroom where the dog was being kept in his kennel, and I knew that because I put him there on Sunday. He's alive. <laughs> but I was almost not alive. Uh, I could feel my life slipping from me as I was running through the door and through there. And then I had to try to explain to someone who doesn't know English very well that I'm not an intruder and that it's okay. Um, but it was a pretty traumatic experience. And then we had someone else come in into the story. And, and she, Miss Cynthia had called another friend of theirs to go check on the dog because she got concerned um, because I hadn't responded to her text message yet. And, uh, and all I heard was, um, oh, hi, hi, Miss Cynthia. Uh, oh, you want to talk to Peyton? Oh, okay. And then he just kind of handed it to me. He goes. <laughs> and so after that, I don't remember a single thing. I know that she told me some things, and I told her I'm sorry, I'm sure. Um, but that was the day that I almost killed someone else's dog. Thank you, Peyton. So much. <laughs> so uh, thank you for sharing that, Peyton. Um, Olivia and I are, are very good friends with Peyton and Alex. Um, we've never asked them to babysit before. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, it's just coming to me why maybe we've had that intuition not to do that. So, uh, have you ever been asked to watch over something really valuable that did not belong to you? Has anyone ever left something or someone uh, in your care and you've known that it's really your responsibility to take care of it? Have you ever made any mistakes doing that? <laughs> yeah, Kathy has. Yeah. I think a, a lot of us probably could say, yeah, we, we've, uh, we can identify with that. Maybe not to the extent uh, of Peyton's negligence. <laughs> uh, but we all, uh, a lot of us at least, could identify with trying to take care of something and not necessarily uh, doing it as well as we would have liked to have done it. Today, the parable we're looking at calls us to faithful care for something that is not our own. 
And it calls us to recognize the value of what we're caring for and then to engage in a, an intentional uh, care for that thing because, or that person because of what it is we're caring for. And uh, more generally, we have, we have three parables here. We're not going to look at all of them. We're just going to look at the, the last one. Thank you, Charles, and thank you guys for uh, uh, acting that out for us today. Uh, we're going to look at the last one, the parable of the talents. But these three parables, basically what they all do is they call us to stay awake and to be prepared in light of the Lord's coming. Now, if you remember two weeks ago, Brother Terry talked to us about uh, Matthew chapter 24. And we're really extending that today. Matthew 24, he, he called our attention to the fact that, that it's largely addressing the destruction of Jerusalem. But it says specifically these things are going to happen before these people die in this generation. Uh, one of the things that, that Terry pointed out, though, is that sometimes, uh, maybe frequently we would say, uh, materials like this, apocalyptic prophetic materials, they can have uh, a kind of double meaning or an extended meaning. Right? So that, that's one way to view this, is that, uh, yes, it was initially addressing the destruction of Jerusalem, but it also has reference to the end of time. And you can see both, both there. Terry talked about that briefly in his sermon. Another way to look at this is that, and we don't have time to get into all this today, but at verse 36, if you just want to look back in Matthew chapter 24, a number of scholars would say there's a change there. And from, from discussing the destruction of Jerusalem, Jesus then begins to dis discuss the end of time. He says, but of that day and hour, in verse 36, as if he may be changing focus. I'm not going to try to settle that today. But what I want to say is either way, when we come to these parables today, I think we need to lift up our eyes to further horizons and realize that, that this has an application to the end, to the, to, to the ultimate return of Christ, to the final day of this earth. These parables don't have the same force to us if, if we don't recognize that. So that's just a little bit of, of background uh, and, and reminder of where we've come in, in looking at Matthew chapter 24 first and now entering into to Matthew chapter 25. These, these three parables are actually governed by another short parable at the end of Matthew chapter 24, and we'll just look at it briefly here. It says, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the, coming, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What we're talking about today is being ready. That's what these parables, these three parables in Matthew 25 call us to. It's being prepared for Jesus. If you look at this, the, the first parable, the first verse, well, like I said, we're not going to get into it, but I want to, uh, okay, well, here's these three parables. I forgot I had those up there. They're about preparation. The first one's be prepared by simple faithfulness. It's the guy who goes, uh, who's left in charge of the house, and he's a servant, but instead of being faithful, he starts to beat his fellow servants. He starts to go out and get drunk, and he's not providing for the home. And he's just not faithful, simply. The next one's the parable of the, the ten virgins who are invited to the wedding feast, and some of them forget to, to bring oil. They don't plan. They don't prepare. And uh, that, that lesson is that basically means just be prepared. <laughs> uh, and then the last one that we're looking at today in the parable of the talents is be prepared by being productive, being, being active in the kingdom. Now, the first one begins with these words, and I think this is, uh, hold on, let me see. Uh, here we go. Who then is a faithful and wise servant 
This is what we're asking today. In light of the Lord's coming, who is faithful and wise whom the master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? The the parables we're presented with today ask us about being faithful and wise servants. Where does that term wisdom come from? Where, Where do we hear or think about wisdom in Scripture? Anybody know? What book of the Bible jumps out when you think of wisdom? Proverbs, that's right. What does Proverbs teach us? Well, I mean, how to be wise. <laughs> yeah. But it's teaching us, it's, it's practical ideas about life, how to enter into, into uh, you know, it, wisdom, it's, it's not just being smart. It involves being smart, but in, in the book of Proverbs, it's being morally smart. It's being smart in light of God, in light of the way the world works and the way people are being formed. You're learning appropriate goals. Like, you ever hear from somebody who's worldly wise? My granddad used to say he was not very smart, but he said, I'm real street wise. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what that means to be street wise. Um, but uh, you can be worldly wise. That means your goal is wrong, but you know how to get there. If you want to know how to steal something, well, you know how to get there. Right? You're wise in how to do it. But that's not what biblical wisdom calls us to. Right? We know the appropriate goal, and we know how to get to those, those goals. The book of Proverbs is rich with uh, teachings for us. I love words like this. There, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. You see, if, if your goal is healing of relationships and reconciliation, then you want to know how to speak with wisdom. So many people speak rashly. You should read the book of Proverbs. It's full of good stuff. So, so here we're, we're talking about wisdom and how to be a wise servant. The goal is to be prepared for Christ's return. And this is how to live wisely in light of that. Now we begin the parable. I'm not going to put it all up there for you. We're just going to look at select verses as we go. You might want to pull it up in your Bible or on your phone. But this parable begins, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Here, right at the outset, we have a fundamental issue that arises What was the purpose of this man? When he went on a journey, what was his purpose in leaving his property with other people, with his servants? This is a crucial question. So, so this is called the parable of the talents. Do you know what a talent is? Talent in our world is different than talent in their world. We have derived our idea of talents from this parable, but, but that's not the, the fundamental thing that talent meant back then. Talent was a unit of money. In fact, it was something like the equivalent of 20 years wages for a day worker. So this is a very wealthy man. He leaves five talents with one person. 
He leaves two talents with another person, and he leaves one talent with another servant. A guy who has a lot of money to leave with other people. Why was he leaving it with them? Why did he entrust it to them? This is the question that has to be answered if we want to understand this parable. Did he just leave it to them because he wanted to give them a gift? I mean, it was a gift in one sense. But that was not the only reason he left it with them. Did he just leave it with them because he wanted them to protect it and keep it safe? It becomes clear in this parable that that is not why this wealthy man left these talents with these people. Why were they entrusted with them? They were entrusted with this money, with these talents, because the master wanted them to use them wisely. He wanted them to invest, to trade, and to make a profit with these. That is why. And here at the outset, you see, this parable calls us to stop and ask ourselves, what has been entrusted to us? This is the question that will arise for us as we move through this parable. What has God entrusted to you? Financially, what has he entrusted to you? Physically, you understand if if you're given physical health, it's not just for you, but to be used in God's service, to use for the master. Spiritually, some people are very blessed with spiritual resources. Do you have understanding? Do you have a happy home? Do you realize you can put that into God's service? And he doesn't just give it to you for you to keep for yourself. It is a gift, but it's more than that. It is his property meant to be invested for his purposes. That is what we're talking about here when we talk about the parable of the talents. We have all been entrusted with things for a purpose. And we have to ask, what is that purpose? Now, he gives these things to these stewards, to these servants, and he leaves, goes on a long journey, and he who had received the five talents, listen, he went at once. The Greek word immediately, he went and traded with them and made five talents more. And I just want to stop and tell you that it may be that you can start right now. In fact, I believe it is the case that you can start right now. If you haven't done this and you're hearing this today, and you know, I've gone for years and I haven't paid attention to what God gave me. Start now. Sometimes we get into habits and we think, well, that's it. You know, this is the way life's supposed to be. This is the way it has to be for me. I wish I had done different, but I haven't. This is the way I've governed my family. This is the way I've governed my job. This is the way I've uh, gone about life. So this is just the way it's going to be. If you've become aware today that God has entrusted things to you, the master has given things into your care, you can immediately start putting them into his service. And I pray today that some of you who are hearing this will come awake in light of the return of our Lord Jesus, you will come awake and go to work in his kingdom, recognizing that you have been entrusted with his property, with his gifts to you, with his talents, however you define them to you. 
so much of our life we waste waiting, thinking, well, when the moment finally arrives, then I'll start serving like I know I should. Once I finally get my finances in order, then I'll start giving. Once I finally get my marriage where I want it to be, then I'll start being what I want to be in my home. Then I'll start using my home as a place of hospitality. Once I finally get my kids off to college and then I have a little bit more space in my day, then I'll start learning to pray. Then I'll start learning to serve, whatever it is. At some point, we have to stop telling God that tomorrow is the day of salvation because he has told us today if you'll hear his voice and not harden your heart today is the day of salvation and we can get started now in fact we have an obligation to the one who has entrusted his resources to us to start now Now, after a long time, you see, that long time opens space for us to start thinking. And we think, well, maybe, maybe he's not coming back. Maybe there'll never be a place where I have to give an account. Or maybe I've just got tons more time. It's the weird thing about how, how it kind of works. We start feeling like we've had a lot of time, so we start thinking we're going to have more time. Maybe I've got forever. Long time opens open space for us to think we've got it covered, however, or, or we, we can relax and not, not worry about things. But it also opens space. Having a long time also opens plenty of time for us to become active. And you see... If you're here this morning and realizing you've had a long time and you've been postponing service to the Lord, recognize now that that time, that to the extent that it has been extended for you, it's time now for you to become active in the service of the Lord. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Do you know, you know, it's hard for us to believe this, in a world we're so intoxicated by our own independence, we think that we live in a world where God is distant, where God is silent. And we become convinced, at least in one level, maybe not fully intellectually, but at least experientially, the way we, the way we live, we think, nah, probably don't have to give an account. And here's the sobering truth of Scripture and we emphasize the greatness of God here, the goodness and the kindness of God. That's where we place our emphasis. But let me say this to you. The scriptures teach that God will bring judgment. And we have to take that seriously. And there will come a time when our Lord returns to settle accounts with us. And he's going to say, Luke, see all these things I gave you? I entrusted them to you. They were mine, but I was trusting you with them. What'd you do with them? That time is coming for everyone. 
the servants come and say to him, the first two come and say, we invested your money and we made more. Look at this. The one who came with five talents said, Master, you gave me five. I've made five talents more. His master said to him, well done. Wouldn't you like to hear your master say one day, well done. Well done, Cruz. I gave you that ability with the guitar. And you used it to bring glory to my name. Well done. You're a good and faithful servant. Notice that the term changes from, from wise and faithful to good and faithful here. Good indicates a kind of, of uh, benefit. Like we produce things that are good. Of course, if you're wise, you will produce the benefit. You'll produce things that are good. You've been a good servant. You've brought about good things. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. Listen, five talents was not a little. But it was little compared to what the master had to offer. We'll come back to that in just a second. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The one with two talents came. Same thing happened. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Notice that they had not done anything amazing. They had just taken what they had given, been given. They'd invested it and made a profit. A good profit, substantial profit. They'd been faithful with it. Right? But the one with two, who just made two, received the same commendation as the one with five. You see, we're not called to, to do the same thing that Mother Teresa has done, necessarily. God doesn't say to me that I have to be as powerful and effective and world-changing as Corey Timboom was. Or name your favorite saint. But I need to be faithful with what he's given me. You understand that? You may be a two-talent person. You may be a one-talent person. You're faithful with that. And God says to you in the end, well done. You were faithful. That's what we're looking for. That's what Jesus is looking for. Our faithfulness. And he will bring about the reward. In fact, I think that uh, if we are faithful, it's impossible not to be productive, to be good in that sense. Because God will bring about the fruit. We plant. Somebody else may water, but God will give the increase. So we're faithful, and then we see the fruit that he brings from our lives. Then we get to the wicked servant. I have to say, I thought Payton was a little bit hard on Jonathan. His master answered him, you wicked. And I'm sorry, we missed the part where he says, the one talent person says, I just buried it in the ground. Right? I didn't go invest it. I didn't even put it in the bank to earn interest on it. I just buried it in the ground. But this is a surprise. You wicked and slothful servant? Man, that does seem a little bit harsh. Why does he say that? It takes us back to recognizing the purpose for which the talent was given him to begin with. Because you see, in, in antiquity, it was a, considered a, 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 a normal and acceptable way to take care of money to bury it in the ground. 
It wasn't like he just invented something nobody ever did. It's okay if you're trying to keep something safe to bury it in the ground. But you see, this guy wasn't given that money for that purpose. He chose to play it safe when the master's purpose was not for him to play it safe. The master's purpose was for him to take it and invest it. And to trade with it and to make a profit. And that takes us back to considering the purpose for which we have been entrusted things ourselves. Entrusted with things ourselves. The whole point of this man ever receiving the talent was not to keep it safe, but was to use it for the master's benefit. If you look at all three of these parables we've talked about, you find a common thread running through them, a casualness, a thoughtlessness, a laziness, an inattentiveness. With the, with the servant who's entrusted with the property, watching over it to begin with, he starts to go out and get drunk as if he doesn't need to worry about someone overseeing him. With the, the virgins who go to the wedding feast, they were there for one purpose. And yet they don't bring the oil to keep their lamps. That's all they were there for. To be ready when the groom came to go. They weren't ready. They were inattentive. They were thoughtless. And then you get to this guy. And it seems a little bit different, but there's a similarity here because he's thoughtless too. When you realize that he had been given this money for the master's purposes and he had simply neglected those purposes, entirely neglected those purposes. This careless, thoughtless inattentiveness with what ultimately was not his. In all three of those stories, they should have known their purpose. May I ask you this morning, is it possible that you have forgotten your purpose Is it possible that you have become careless with the things of God? Is it possible you've taken things that he gave you, whether we're talking financial, physical, spiritual, social, personality-wise, whatever it is, gifts that he's given you, and you've thought, well, that's just for me. I'm going to spend my life using it for me. And you have been careless with what belongs to God and not to you. Is it possible that you have forgotten the purpose for which you have life to begin with? It's today the day when God may be calling you to recognize the central reason for which he has given you so much. You know that no one is called to the sidelines of the Christian life. You understand that? Nobody's called to be a passenger on the train who just sits there and gets there. When I was playing football in high school. I played defense, but I was a backup tailback. In my senior year, we were in the playoffs with the team we were supposed to be. I think it may have been wet and messing us up, but we weren't doing well. 
And it was a real tight game. We should have beaten them handily. At least I thought we should have. And so I went up to my coach. I wasn't playing on offense, but we weren't getting anywhere. So I said, coach, I think I can make something happen. Put me in. Give me the ball. I think I can make something happen. And so my coach, the head coach, went to the offensive coordinator and said, hey, coach, Luke thinks he can make something happen. So they put me in. Gave me the ball. I started running. Somebody hit me. I fumbled. <laughs> they recovered. <laughs> we went on to win the game, barely. But I remember next Monday at practice when I was sitting there stretching, the coaches ran on the field. My head coach ran out and hollered out to another one, Hey, coach, Luke made something happen. <laughs> Luke made something happen Friday night. Oh, man, I'm still, I'm 42. I'm still embarrassed about that. Let me say to you, though, God's not so worried about you fumbling as he is you sitting on the sidelines. We're all called to make something happen. We're all called to be active in the kingdom. And this is a joy to us. I mean, think about it. If God just set us aside and said, okay, I want to save you. Enjoy the ride. That would not dignify us like he wants to dignify us. He says, come join me in the work I'm doing in healing all creation. You guys messed it up, but I'm going to involve you guys in fixing it. Come with me. Don't sit on the sidelines. This is your calling today. Today is the day you're being invited, once again, not to sit on the sidelines, to be productive in the kingdom. Let me say it to you in, in, in similar but, but slightly different terms. A good and faithful servant is not someone who's called to simply refrain from doing wrong. Sometimes we get in the kingdom, we say, okay, now I'm going to stop that. Some addiction, for example. Well, okay, I'm stopping that. And the Lord gives, gives you freedom from that. Thank God for that. It's a huge thing. But let me say to you that Jesus Christ did not call you out of darkness, transfer you into the kingdom of light, give you his Holy Spirit so that you could spend the rest of your life and go to heaven saying, hey, I stopped drinking. I mean, praise God you stopped drinking. But let me tell you, God took away your alcohol addiction so he could give you all your resources back. See, alcohol owns you. Alcohol owns your resources. God says, okay, now they're yours again. Use them for me. Do you understand? All your, all your mind was focused on pornography. God took away the pornography. He says, now your mind's back for you. Go use it for me. Stop sitting on the sidelines. And may I say to you, is this is a, an end times section that we're talking about. Destruction of Jerusalem, end times material. This is what should be our consideration of the end times. When we say, what time is it? There's a lot of tricky questions that go into this, but there's one that we don't have to worry about. And you say, what time is it? It is time for risky obedience to Jesus Christ. That is what time it is for everybody right now. And then we get to see what he does with the rest of it. It's time to get off the sidelines and to take what God has given us and put it into his service.
It's time for every one of us to boldly and assertively, with creativity and energy and enterprise, to say, I'm going to do something in God's kingdom. He has given me so much, I'm going to be active in the kingdom. I need to close up here. I want to read you something from wonderful, wonderful missionary Heidi Baker um, and her husband. I'm not sure which one's writing this chapter. I'm going to say it's her. Um, These guys have gone into the poorest parts of the world and preached the gospel to the utterly destitute, and they have seen God do mighty miracles around them. Incredible. You should read her book if you're interested. Always enough. Incredible stories, faith-strengthening stories. But I want you to listen. If you you read it, you'll you'll know what kind of people you're dealing with here. I want you to listen towards the end of the book what what she says. We are asked how we can continue doing such tiring work How do we put up with such poverty and stressful conditions? How can we deal with so many people in needs? How long can we do this? But we have nothing to gain by slowing down and trying to hold on to our lives. We give ourselves as a fragrant offering of love to Jesus. And in return, he gives us his supernatural life. We have to stand up and face some of the poorest people on earth who suffer, starve, and die as most of us cannot, can, cannot imagine. Yet we confidently preach who shall separate us from the love of Christ. We have his love. We have him. This is no time to be conservative. This is no time to let our hearts be captured by this world. We cannot improve on his will and his life. Let's concentrate on what captures God's attention and spend ourselves as he spends himself. He knows what is worthwhile to do, so let's learn from him and not waste our lives. We will never run dry. We always have his resources because he died for us. Let's run the race to win and never stop bearing fruit. And you see, Heidi Baker is a five-talent person. She's been called into the places of the world most of us aren't called to. But we're all called to that same spirit that says, okay, with this life and these gifts that you've given to me, I want to put them into your service, whatever that means. I want to get off the sidelines and get active in the kingdom. Y'all bear with me for just a second. I want to say one more thing. The, the parable makes us question sometimes about God because the, the guy at the end says, I knew you were harsh. And that's why I was afraid. And it's not exactly clear whether the guy's right or not. But I want to say, I just wonder if, a, if an avenue of reflection is opened up for us here. Okay? Because before this guy calls his master harsh nobody in the story says he's harsh and nothing in the story indicates that he's harsh or stingy or cruel in fact he's exceedingly generous he says you've had you've been faithful over little i want to pour out blessings upon you i want to give you much more than you can imagine enter into the joy of your master 
That doesn't sound like a harsh and cruel guy, does it? Is it possible that the last servant was crippled by a fear he never should have had? Now, there is an appropriate fear of God that we should have. As we talked about, God is the judge. But is it possible that this guy, by viewing his master wrongly, by mischaracterizing his master as harsh and cruel, he had crippled his own ability to be a productive servant? You see, I think that happens to us sometimes. One of the worst things that's happening, maybe we'd say the main thing wrong with the world today, with the church today, is wrong ideas about God. We are called to believe in an exceedingly good God. A God who wants to reward us beyond what we can imagine. I mean, do you ever think about this verse? What no eye has seen. Nobody's ever seen anything like this. Nor has ear heard. Nobody's ever talked about anything like this. Nor has it ever entered into the heart of man. Nobody's ever had a thought that gets close to it. This is what God has prepared for those who love him. You just think about that for a little bit. To be faithful over a little, I want to set you over much. People think somehow eternity is going to be boring. Let me tell you something. God doesn't do boring. If you think that, it's not because God's boring. Maybe you're boring. God has unimaginably rich and creative plans for us throughout all eternity to be co-rulers with him. This is what the scriptures teach. I don't know what all it's going to be like. It hasn't entered into my heart because it's not entered into the heart of man. But it's amazing and beautiful. And this is a time for faithfulness. We have no idea how great it's going to be for all eternity. You see, even right now, we start to see him doing things that surprise us. Um, We find ourselves given responsibilities that we didn't know we could handle at one point in life. I think that's a foretaste, a foretaste of what we're going to receive on a much grander scale one day in eternity. If I had more time, I'd tell you a story about that, but I'm going to close up here. I want to invite you today to get off the sidelines, to take your talents into God's kingdom and to use them in his service. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for all you've given to us. Forgive us, Lord, of failing to recognize the purpose for which you have given us these things. And let a fresh breath of your spirit blow upon us today that inspires us to live the life in the kingdom you have called us to live and to use your resources for your purposes and for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.